0: You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. We have been going through a series for the last, this is actually week number 10 of this series, kind of, we got in a little different direction for Mother's Day, but still kind of related to this series, but this is the 10th week of this series and we are ending it off today. The meaning of what does it mean to be human, an extremely important question. We've gone through the meaning of humanity, how we lose that meaning that we were originally created with. We've gone through the ultimate goal of humanity, the life we are to live, what it means to be a blessing in the world, that we were made to worship. And the last two weeks or the last three weeks, I should say, we started off with the, the, the reality that we've been given a body, how we view the body we've been given that we also have been given a soul, and how we view that soul that we've been given. There's a third part of it that we're going to end with called I have a spirit. That's how we're going to end today. So before we get into this, let me, let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We, we just ask, Lord, that we would be open to it. We, we believe the spirit, the Holy Spirit, your spirit is going to do work with our spirit today to encourage us. It says in Romans 8 that your spirit encourages our spirit, that we are children of God. May we be reminded of that today, that we are your children. We do not live under a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God. And the congregation said amen to that. And the congregation said amen Amen. to that truth you are going to do business with our spirit to remind us if we if we believe in you if we have placed our faith in you we are not you are not our taskmaster master you are not our slave driver we have been saved from that spirit of fear but now we live under a spirit of adoption that we are sons and daughters and we can respond as it says in Romans 8 with abba father may we be reminded of that today through this amazing gift known as a human spirit that you've created us with. Lord, I pray, though, that if there are some in this room, that as we're going to look at, the spirit you've created them with is lying dormant until they receive the good news. Lord, we're all trusting in some sort of gospel this morning, but it might not be the gospel of Jesus. we all wrestle with some sort of gospel, that if we just had this, then life would be the way it's supposed to be. Would we be saved from that? Would we turn to the gospel of Jesus today? I pray that there are some in this room that their soul would intend and make that belief decision to follow follow you, that their body would respond respond, and that their spirit would be awakened inside of them. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Okay, I apologize. I was coaching soccer all weekend. All I had in my head was Toy Story. That's all I could think of when I thought of what am I, how am I going to illustrate uh, today. Toy Story. When I first watched Toy Story, which probably more than any other movie, other than maybe Muppets Christmas Carol, because we've watched it several times every single Christmas, Toy Story might be the movie I've seen more than any other movie that exists, okay? I was a 90s kid, grew up in the 90s, so therefore you grew up with Toy Story. I remember the first thing I did when I watched Toy Story for the first time. You know what it was? Maybe some of you did the same thing. What, what did you do after you watched Toy Story for the first time? What's that? no that's the bad kid that was the bad kid that was the kid you're not supposed to be in, in this. I don't know if you I don't know if you got that from Toy, from Toy Story that, Sid is not the aspiring child Okay, Andy on the other hand is first thing I did I got all my toys at least the figurines did you do the same thing? got a sharpie out And I wrote my name on the bottom of their foot, just like Andy did with all of his toys. Maybe no one else did that. But I wrote my name, Aaron, on the foot of all of my figurines, my GI Joes. Because that mark that was imprinted on them, what did that say? You are mine. You're my toy, right? This belongs to me. And I had three brothers, and we all had to share our G.I. Joes. And, uh, but the ones that were marked Aaron, they were mine. Like No one else could play with those. Those are Aaron's. They belong to Aaron. They belong to me. There are things on us as humans that tell us who we are, like a fingerprint when you unlock your phone. And hopefully, if they've updated the software enough, no one else is supposed to get into that phone unless they have your specific mark, your fingerprint. Same with your voice. But you know, there's a mark on us that tells us deeper than those things where we came from, and I should say more specifically, who we came from. And the Bible calls that mark the human spirit. And I've saved this, I didn't do this on purpose, it just worked out the way it was. this This is the last one in this series. We have a body, we have a soul, we've also been given a spirit at creation. As opposed to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and you're going to see some verses in a second, there is a human spirit that we've been created with. And I didn't do this on purpose, but I must also admit, this is a disclaimer before we get into this. This is by far the most mysterious of the messages that I will speak on this series. Which, by the way, if you want to check out the other messages, you're welcome. It's on Spotify, YouTube. What does it mean to be human? You're welcome to listen to those messages and to catch yourself up. This is by far, though, the most mysterious of messages. And it reminds us that there are things in Scripture, things in life, things about God, we look at and we, under, we try to understand. God has revealed some things to us, but has God revealed everything to us? You should all be shaking your heads. If you're nodding your head, you have much to learn, okay? You should all be shaking your hands, heads. God has not revealed everything to us. There are things in Scripture we look at and try to understand, but we also must acknowledge we won't completely understand life, faith. And God, that's just the way it is, that we're not going to... I've heard so many people say in heaven, like, when I get to heaven, when I'm a God, I can't wait for him to tell me everything that he is. That's not going to happen. You don't get to be God, okay? We are not God. You're not going to understand everything and figure everything out, okay? Ironically, there is a verse in the Bible that uses the topic we're going to talk about to explain the mystery of God. And this is one of my favorite books in the Bible, which talks about the mystery of life and God, which is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5 says this, As you do not know the way the Spirit, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's the human spirit, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. We don't know how that happens. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So every time we seek the Lord, we uphold what he has revealed to us and we respond in obedience to that. But we also must uphold the parts that we don't, haven't been revealed to us, and respond in trust for what we don't know. Okay? So the final time, you don't have to go here. Okay? But where, where, where am I going? I'm going to read a verse from... Someone shouted out, where am I reading a verse from? Genesis 1 and 2, okay, for the final time, okay, for the final time. That's the 10 straight weeks I'm going to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 declares that we have been created in the image of God. We were not God. That does not mean we are divine, but we have been created like him. It says we've been created in his image and in his likeness, and we are the ones in creation. If you remember this from the very first week, Things were created, there was creatures in the air and all of those kinds were created. There's creatures in the sea and God created all of those kinds of creatures and creatures on land and God created all those kinds of creatures and then he gets to humankind and he says he created man in the image of God, male and female, he created them and basically what he's saying is according to my kind, this is my creation according to the kind and likeness of God. We've been created in the image of God. Genesis 2, verse 7, if you want to turn there. We read this for the last two weeks. We're going again. Genesis 2, verse 7. And I didn't get my verses in time to Nico, so they're not on the screen. Genesis 2, verse 7 says this. And I read this last week. The Lord God, this is a more specific de- uh, uh, description of what was going on when God created mankind. Then the Lord God formed Man from the dust of the ground, and then it says, This he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Last week, we looked at that living creature that's the word for soul the nephesh, the soul. But there's this really enigmatic scene. I even talked to you, one of you, about this after you came up to me after and be like, Aaron, what is this? To be honest, I don't completely know what it is, but when it says, In verse 7, that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What is that? The breath of life. Well, the word when it says God breathed or blew, the the sense is like, you know when you're trying to start a fire? It's hard to start a fire. What do you do? You start, like, breathing into it. You get oxygen, and what happens to the fire? Just like it ain't just modern times, you do, do the same thing. Once you start breathing on a fire, what happens? You blow into it, oxygen creates, and then the fire ignites from that oxygen. It's kind of the same kind of... I admit this is a bad time to talk about this because of all the wildfires that are happening in Canada. You're not supposed to start your fire, by the way. If you're having a fire, you're not supposed to. Right now, there's a fire ban. Uh... But the point is, when you make a fire, often to ignite that fire, it needs oxygen blown into it to make the fire alive, to kindle that fire. And that's kind of the same sense as God breathes the breath of life into this person. But the question is, is this just merely the person becoming alive? Like lungs breathing, heart beating, is that what this is talking about? I believe there's something more going on. For, in, for one thing, when it says the breath of life, that's the word nesama. Okay, you don't have to know that. It's the same sort of sense of another word. Jared, this is for you, because Jared said this last week. And I'm getting, is he in the room? It's the ruach. Okay? The ruach. Say that with me. It's the ruach. That word means wind. Okay? Most of the time, nesama, or mo, most of the time, ruach is the word used for spirit in the Old Testament. Both of those words are used in the concept of spirit. Sometimes in the spirit of God, but sometimes in the spirit of of mankind, lowercase s. It's not obvious which one's always being used, but due, due to context, you try to figure that out. The image of spirit being used as breath or wind is because you can't see breath, you can't see wind, but you see what it does. That's the sense of why, why spirit is described as breath or wind. You don't see it, but you see what it does. You know, my kids, there's in my front yard, there are now a million dandelions in my front yard. When we first moved in, there was about three. Now there's like a million. Do you know why every time? Because every time those things come up, my kids take every single one and they blow all the dandelion seeds throughout a lot. I've told them many times, it's like they can't help themselves. They have to do it, and eventually I was like, you know what, Aaron, who cares? It's dandelions. It bothers me every single time I see those dandelions cut up, because when you cut your grass, the next day, the grass doesn't grow, but what grows? The dandelions, and they're all shooting up out of the, anyway. That's my pet peeve. But anyway, my kids are having a good time. That's all that matters. But there's a thousand dandelions, because you can see, like that's, that's the sense. It's like, you, can, you can't see the breath, but you see what the breath does. That's the same sense of the spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit works in our world. You can't see the Holy Spirit. Even God is described in John chapter 4 as Spirit. You can't see Him with the naked eye, but you see what He does. You understand? You follow me? That's the sense of the Spirit. There's this idea of God breathing into things all the time throughout Scripture. You know, there's this weird, at the end of the book of John, Jesus, as he sends out his disciples, you know what he does? It's really weird for us to do it, and I probably won't ever do this to you if I, you know, put you in a ministry position. He breathes on them. I've never done that to any of you. That would be weird, okay? Because my breath doesn't do anything. But there's this specific usage of when God breathes on something, something starts to happen. Maybe the closest parallel we get to a human when God breathes, what's another part of Scripture that is described as God breathed? Anyone know? Shout it out. You're all holding one right now, right? The Scripture is described as being God breathed. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What if that verse didn't have the word God-breathed in it? How would that change the Bible? How would it change the Bible if that verse just says it's, it's, it's useful for teaching, for, for correction? What if it didn't have God-breathed? I mean, it would make a world of difference. I mean, the, the God-breathed part kind of is why we open up our Bible every single time. If Scripture was without described without this God breathed, I mean it's good history. I love reading history. Okay, there's great history in the Bible. It's great poetry. Not my thing, but you know there's great poetry. Apparently, there's great poetry in there. I'm not my thing, but I know some people. I, there's great literature. The Bible is great literature. But there's little distinctive quality from any other ancient text without the God-breathed part. I mean, we can describe it with other ancient texts, but it's just, it's a nice thing to read. Unfortunately, many even theological schools, almost, they know the God-breathed part, but they take it out of the verse and just merely view it as a historical literature. But nothing more than that. But because it's God-breathed, the sense of God-breathed It's that scripture ultimately gets its meaning from its origin. This is from God to you. Okay, We have said before when it comes to understanding the Bible that scripture was not written to you because there are human authors writing this document to you, these books to you, but it's written for you. But in a sense, as God breathed into this book, even here today as Natasha and Ryan come to church, as we read these scriptures, they're not just Paul writing to you. They're not just these human authors. But it's literally God's, the origin of this message is from God. That's what God breathed means. That's where scripture gets its meaning and its purpose. Yes, human writers wrote these words to real people. And we, we must believe that in order to understand it. But they were not zombie. And I believe they were not zombie-like. And so to understand that it is of no consequence. However, the sense of God breathed. is that this is from God to you. And in the same way that we are created, I believe, this breath of life gives us the quality that as Natasha was created, as Ryan was created, as Aaron was created, where do we come from? We come from God. The spirit that we've been created with is the mark, just like me writing on the, on the foot of my toy, you are from me, you belong to me. That's the mark of God in us. Soul, if soul, as last week that we looked at, is the place of intention, will, thought and belief. The spirit then, is the place of me- where we derive our meaning, our purpose, our origin, who we come from. That's the spirit we've been created with. It's the mark of God on us. This would explain why in James chapter four, verse five, it says, "He yearns zealously over the spirit that he has made in us. That's mine. Andrew, you're you're mine. That's why God yearns zealously over you. I put my mark on you. You're mine. You come from me. That's what the spirit means. We are his. Like that name on the bottom of the foot. We are God's. And God, this is good news. God wants you. God wants you to be his. And I think it goes both ways. Again, Please excuse me for the terrible illustration of Toy Story. That was all on my mind for some reason as I was coaching uh, yesterday. It's the spirit we were created with that indicates how God thinks about you, but it's also the part of you that points you back to him. There's this... Crazy, there's this amazing verse in Job, chapter 32, verse 8. And if you don't know the story of Job, basically Job starts to suffer. People come to his house, and they're trying to explain why, and no one understands. And they're saying, well, it's because if you sinned, or your family sinned. This is why God is doing what he's doing, and basically that's wrong. And then they, basically they're trying to understand what God is doing. And then there's another one who comes, he doesn't even get it all completely correct, Elihu. But he does say one verse really great. Elihu observes and says, hey, you guys are all old. You guys, you guys have no, but you guys have no idea what you're talking about. You know, like you, culturally speaking, everyone thinks you have, have a lot, like know what you're saying because you're aged, you have experience, you have wisdom, but you have no idea what you're talking about. And Elihu, this young punk, imagine that, right? Older, older guys in the room. You're trying to encourage someone. Young punk comes in and says, you old guys have no idea what you're talking about. Now he doesn't, know what he's talking about either. That's kind of the point until God speaks. But Elihu does say something really good. He says, it's the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, okay, it's the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand where he comes from. Again, I apologize for the terrible illustration, but not only did that name remind Andy of who his toys were, What also did it? Presumably toys are alive and speaking, which they actually aren't. But every time that toy looks at his foot, it also points him back to this is where I come from. I am Andy's. That's the last time I'll use that illustration. (laughs) It's the best I could do. The mark was not only for God, but it was for us. To point us back to our maker. The spirit's a beautiful gift. Tells the story of who we are. I believe this, the spirit, unlike the soul, last week we said the soul, the bad news was the soul cannot, the soul can be deceived, the head, the heart can be deceived. I don't believe the same is true with the spirit, because that's the mark of God. The spirit can't be deceived, however, I believe that since the fall, when we rejected God, that it can lie dormant within each and every one of us. People everywhere in this world have this mark of God that they've been given, but they don't even know it. They don't even realize that they've been given this mark. I mean, this is really good news, that they can come alive if they so choose. They can embrace their maker and come alive again to the spirit. It's really good news. Like Genesis 2, verse 7, not being born for the first time, but in Christian language, what do we say? It's like you're being born again. Go to John three, because that's where I'm actually gonna. If you haven't gone there, go to John chapter three. That's where I'm gonna be most most of the time. I don't know. I don't have a ton of time, Matt. You're gonna have to give me a little wave when my time's up. It might be up already. I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, we can't take a lot of time here, but John chapter three. I'm just gonna read it and then, actually, let me let me give it. Jesus is speaking to a man named Nicodemus here. He's a ruler and teacher of the Jews, full of knowledge and power. He's like the president of Heritage Theological Seminary, right? He knows all. Not that there's not a ton of power associated with the president of Heritage, but uh, (laughs) full of knowledge and power. He's a leader, ruler, teacher of the Jews. Jesus says this to him in verse 3 of John 3. Ah, Let me start at verse 1. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus says something really interesting. Truly, truly, I say to you, no one is born again. Oh, sorry, sorry I, I read that incorrectly. I flipped the page too fast. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that one statement really stumps Nicodemus. He's like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Being born again? I mean, look what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be, listen to what he said, how can a man be born when he's old? Like, he just doesn't get it at all. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's a weird thing to say. (laughs) Of course, it's a weird thing to say. And he clearly doesn't get, he says this overly literal weird response, like, can you crawl back in and then be born again? That's all he could come up with. And Jesus is like, uh, what now did you just say? Because all Nicodemus could think of is, well, the good news, the kingdom of God, is national reform. You know, if, if, if Israel just becomes what it should be, that's the, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. That's the good news. That's, that's all Nicodemus can, can think of well what, do you, what what is this born again business into the I thought it was the reform of Israel like if Israel just turns back to God, that's the kingdom of God, isn't it? she so doesn't understand I mean I think I mean we can all we can be tempted to of course think the very same thing you know there's different gospels that we hold on to in this life that, that we think hold the promise of new life, the kingdom of God I mean if Canada just Turns back to God, like isn't that the kingdom of God? I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we can be we can deceive ourselves to think, well, if if we just if we just get the right things in place, the right leader in place, isn't that the good news? Isn't that the gospel? Or we, personally speaking, have gospels of upward mobility. If I just if I just get this this position then it will bring me everything that I, then, then I will find meaning and purpose in life. There's gospels of upward mobility. There's gospels of materialism. There's gospels of sexuality. All of these things we think, if I just had this, if it's just this, Jesus, then everything, I'll be completely satisfied with life. I'll have all the answers I've been searching for. That's, isn't that the kingdom of God? Jesus says, no, it's to be born Again, and Nicodemus says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I think if we have different Gospels we, that we think hold the promise of new life, as soon as someone kind of like infringes on that, we react, we react angrily and in frustration toward those who do not share the same Gospel. I love Jesus, though, because Jesus doesn't see all of that. Who does Jesus see? Nicodemus. This is, Gospels for you, Nicodemus. He sees Nicodemus, and what's going on there? He says in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and here's our word, and the Spirit, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, we're not going to go through all this, because I don't have time. He's drawing imagery from Ezekiel thirty six. You can look it up after you want. Water was a symbol of cleansing of the heart. Unless you, your heart is cleansed. Not only says water, but the spirit. And I believe, and oh, your Bible might have a capital S. I believe that's actually lowercase S, talking about the human spirit. Unless you are awakened to who you are, and turn back to your Creator, embrace the nature of God in you, which which we would call new life, the life you were always meant to have, that's called individual regeneration, or in other words, to be born again. Now he does refer to the Holy Spirit in the next verse when he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Basically, Jesus, and again, I don't have time to go completely into this, but he does refer to the Holy Spirit, basically who is born of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, that is the, it awakens the Spirit in you. God, the Holy Spirit, actively works to awaken the Spirit in you, to bring you back to himself. This was good news to Nicodemus. I love the wind analogy that Jesus gives because that's the sense of the word Spirit. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it. You can't wield it as some power. This is how God works in you. The only thing I would say from that is that there is a movement in our world to separate what is spiritual from what is God. You ever heard someone say, I'm not religious, but I'm what? Spiritual. Jesus says you can't, like they, you can't have spiritual. Without God. Spiritual is embracing God in your heart. That's what spiritual is. If it's only the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, you can't control the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work in you to awaken the Spirit that you've been created with. Spiritual cannot happen without the work of God. It's not a power you can tap into. It's not unassociated with the personal God. It cannot be. The Holy Spirit is working to awaken your spirit to always bring you to God. That's what it means to be spiritual. Look over in John 4. That's all I can say from those for now. John chapter 4. I love this because you have two chapters. One is with this Jewish man, ruler who holds power. Who does Jesus confront in John 4? The complete opposite person. The Samaritan woman who has no power, who is stuck in her sin and her shame, and she is shocked, and it's culturally, like she's shocked that this rabbi would even speak to her. No one would speak to her. You got like the Jewish leader to the, to the woman no one would speak to. I love it. There's another encounter of a polar opposite personality, and I don't think it's just happenstance that this happens. That this offer of new, new life in Christ is offered to all kinds of people. A woman stuck in sh- sin, shame and sin, and also affected by the cultural woes of her day. She asks, I'm just going to skip because there's a lot going on, but I've got to skip to the part that I'm getting to. She asks about worship. Look at verse Well, I'm not going to, if you look at verse 19, it says, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers, in verse 20 of chapter 4, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's saying, this is the mountain where our leaders would worship. Of course, she was not invited into that worship. She would never have been invited to that worship on Mount Gerizim, it was called. But Jesus responds to her and says this in verse 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here. That's because I am here. I'm about to die, be buried, and rose again. This is the hour that has come. It says when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is basically saying, because I have come, it's not about where you worship, but about who. It's about a regenerated Life. Jesus is saying to this woman that would have never been invited to worship, he is saying, I have come for you. This is good news for both kinds of people, that all people are called back to God, and every person was created with a mark of God in them, and the potential of being brought back to God. The religious, powerful leader, and the the, the secular woman that had no power in the world. All people have been created with the potential of being brought back to God that they could choose him. Do you really believe that? If you really believe that, if our church really believed that, it would change how you interact with the people in your life. Some of you hate the Nicodemuses. That's just the truth. You hate religious, powerful people and you think they are. there's no hope for them at all. You hate the legalist. Jesus didn't hate the legalist. They can be brought back to God too. Some of you hate the secularist. You're afraid of them. His good news is for every person because every person has been created the mark of God in them. Amen? That should change how you interact with people in your life. Every person has a potential of being brought back to God. We don't treat people as threats. There's a spirit in them that can be awakened. It's the spirit that brings you back to God. I got to end. It's the spirit that also has union with God. I'm just gonna. This was this was the verse, Nico. Are we almost there, Matt? What time is it? Uh, 11:13. Oh yeah, we are. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to go here. I, this is a verse I was going to put on the screen, but apologies. Nico, Three under the bus. 1 First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 6. We looked at this passage before, and I can't get into too much of it. Basically, what 1 Corinthians 6 is saying is comparing the people. I can't explain all of it. You need to go back a few weeks when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, but there was a church basically giving their body. When we looked at I have a body, giving their bodies to whoever because they thought it didn't matter. Jesus says it matters what you do with your body, or through God says it matters. And it says this in verse 16. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's speaking of the marriage union. You can't just give your body to another people. There was this God ordained, the two will become one flesh, a union of body in marriage. He says this in verse 17, fascinatingly. We didn't look at this last time. I skipped it, saving it for this day. I saved it. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one what? Say the word. Spirit with him. So it's the spirit that brings you to God, but it also is the spirit that has union with God, similar to a marriage relationship in body. But in with God, we have union in spirit. The same analogy for marriage. Oneness in body is the same oneness in spirit with God. We have this wrong concept in our Western day that we think to grow as a person means we, we're not dependent on anybody else. You ever seen that before? You ever sensed that before? That you know the less in need we are from other people, the more mature we are. But in the Christian life, it's the opposite. You know, The more union we have with God, the more we lean in dependence upon God, the more mature we are. The more we think we don't need God is actually a, sh- a sign of... Immaturity in our life. Humanness is being in union with someone. And guess what? The ultimate humanness is not, I hate to, hate to throw this idol out, it's not marriage. It's not marriage. The ultimate symbol of humanness in Christianity, we can have this idol of marriage, it's not marriage. Marriage in body is merely a picture of a greater oneness of union with God. And man, I could keep going to that, but the heart of that relationship, the heart of relationship, man, I'm going to be skipping a lot, is communication. Christina Bifus is not in here, but she gave me this because she's a wise person. Christina sent me this because uh, she's done some work on what it means to be human from a theological perspective, and I love this line. Communication, Nikki and I do a lot of premarital counseling, and we always talk about communication because the couple that starts to not communicate, you know that there's a problem in their marriage. Communication is so key to the oneness or the union in that marriage, and the same thing is with God. You know, if we don't communicate with God, you know, we don't have much union with Him. Communication is the heart act of that relationship, which means The quintessential human act is what? Prayer. The quintessential human act is prayer. To communicate with our God. That's at its core. When we pray with our God, we are becoming who we were always meant to be as human beings. Which might say something about all of our prayer lives. As you consider your communication with God. But it seems like in our union with God, if we don't pray, we are not discovering what we are actually here for. The quintessential human act is prayer. So it's the spirit that brings us to God. It's the spirit that keeps us in union with God. And in Romans 8, again, this can be on the screen, Romans 8 says this. It's the spirit that also encourages us. In Romans 8, verse 16, or 15, it says, you did not receive, and I prayed this at the beginning, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then there's this fascinating verse. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, another spirit. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, the spirit of slavery is not who you are. It's motivated by fear and shame. You have been adopted, and it's the Spirit of God that testifies to our spirit. To be honest, guys, I don't really even know what that is. You know, when it says the spirit bears witness with ours, I don't know, I can't give you like a formulaic, like this is what it happens with that. All I know is that it's the spirit of God that encourage us, it encourages us in right relationship to God that we are his children, to encourage us that this is who you are. I am not your slave owner. You are my child and I love you. That is what the spirit, the mark of God on you is always supposed to represent. I love that, I'm gonna close with this. Nikki, Nikki's a better parent than I am. Whenever our kids, she's done this many times, whenever our kids, you know, they're nervous about something, they're unsure of themselves, they don't, you know, there's something happening in the day that they're nervous about. No, you know what she does? She draws a little heart on the back of their hand and tells them, this is who you are. Your mom loves you. You're my child. No matter what you face today, remind, let this little heart reminds you, this is my heart on you. Let this little heart remind you of who you are. You're my, you're my child. In much the same way, it's the spirit in us, guys. That's the mark that says, God, God says, that's my heart upon you. You're my child. This is who you are. God has drawn his heart on us. He calls it the spirit. You've been given a body. You've been given a soul. You've been given a spirit from a good God that loves you.